Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The WTF1 Post Race Podcast. Penalties galore, midfield mayhem into team politics and not a raindrop in sight. That was the Japanese Grand Prix in which Max Verstappen and Red Bull put their Singapore dip in performance behind them and dominated all the way from FP1 to the chequered flag. And in doing so, became six-time Constructors World Champions. But you probably listened to all the actual analysis from the race weekend, but we can have a look at some of the more interesting, bizarre moments from the race and obviously put Verstappen dominance to one side. Actually, no, let's start with that because you know what the weirdest thing is? Why were they rubbish in Singapore and then so good in Japan? Callan O'Keefe, well, he- racing driver, is alongside me, Harry Benjamin. Sorry, I should have done that earlier. <laughs> It's it's okay. I think the people know by now. Hopefully that they haven't they haven't got rid of us, of us just yet. Um, I don't know. I think you know. I was hopeful, as we've always said. It's the hope that kills you. Um, but yeah, he really shut us up, didn't he? he if you listen to the uh, the post Singapore podcast, <laughs> there's no doubt about that performance. I mean, the another flawless weekend. He's at the end of the day, him and the team. The remarkable job that they're doing. They're also still human beings. It's very difficult to. Forget that. Um, it's also, you know, just watching what they've done this season. And maybe Singapore was just a slump, as you said as well. Singapore is very, very specific. It's a night race. It's a street circuit. And it's not – it is actually traditionally maybe a track that highlights some weaknesses within the car and the package together with Max. But, yeah, didn't he uh, show us all this weekend? I mean, and that, that qualifying especially, what a lap that was. I mean, it was it was it was good. It was very good, but of course, he didn't have any competition. So it's just uh, another weekend of dominance. But you can't uh, you can't fault a thing a single thing they do. It's amazing. Um, if we look right down the other end of the grid, let's start there. And now the one remaining seat for twenty twenty four is the Williams, currently occupied by Logan Sargent and. After the little incident in Singapore, he needed a good weekend and he didn't really have one. No, 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 no. Logan is just, just finish a race weekend without a crash at this point. I mean, do you think, do you think that's cost him the seat? Like, even if he, like, it's, it's all well and good being sort of off the pace a bit, but like Mick Schumacher, what ultimately did it for him was that he was costing the team so much money in, in, crash damage yeah crashing is expensive and you can't afford to keep having these crashes i mean especially a team like williams we've, we keep saying this they're they're at that tipping point aren't they where if they can get two cars consistently fighting towards the top 10 it's going to do huge things for the team they don't need to be spending money repairing cars and if they bring bits for example you know if, if they've brought upgrades are you going to put on logan's car knowing that he's going to crash statistically every weekend and it's it's a cut it's a cutthroat industry it's a cutthroat sport we're in the back half of the season these rookie areas the areas that just shouldn't be happening for for logan and 
yeah, I think it's a case of performance is important, but at a, at a baseline point, you just can't be costing the team money, potential points and performance. And it all snowballs into what they do in the following seasons and, and how they end the year. So, you know, he's, he's been under pressure for ages. He's not upped his game. He's under even more pressure now. And then there's that, you know, the, the impending doom of where's Liam Lawson going to go? Because we now know that Danny's staying on. Great to see Daniel Ricciardo come back because he didn't really get a fair shot after his injury. But, you know, what a job Liam's done. He, he literally outraced Sonoda, beat him in the race. I mean, his move into Degna 2 on the opening lap to catch Sonoda napping, what an overtake. And, you know, it just proves that there's actually people who are more worthy of a, of a seat in Formula 1 who haven't got it. So where does where does Sergeant fit into all of that? He needs an exceptional last part of the season. Otherwise, I think his time in Formula One is is unfortunately over. And that's that's the clickbait snip right there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it, I've said, I, I mean, I I obviously was on doing the commentary at the weekend. That's all we kept talking about. It's just pressure, and sergeants may have the support of team principal James Vows at least publicly, and and Vows is saying, you know, actually the the crashes have masked his performance increase relative to Albon. And also we have to remember that Sargent is very, very behind in terms of receiving upgrades because when Williams do get an upgrade, it goes straight on Alex's car because they know that he's the performing car and they can get the most out of him because they are languishing at the back. They don't have as much money or spare parts to play with. They're going to put it on Albon's car and that makes Sargent look worse because he, he, he still has a car that's three or four specs behind. But then when you add the crashing on top, that mindset that Sergeant must be in is going to be so hard to get out of. Like, have you had moments in your career where you've had, you know, a couple of bad races on, on, on the trot and you're just in this sort of cloud? Like, how do you get out of that? Yeah, I, th- I think that's the hardest thing, right? Like, there's obviously pressure in all scenarios in motorsport, but what you tend to find with drivers is they tend to be the ones that put the most pressure on themselves. So, you know, if you take, a, as you said, like James Viles is saying publicly, they support him and everything, but it's it's not stopped the mistakes from creeping in. It's almost like the more support he gets publicly, the more pressure he puts on himself to turn it around because he knows that he has everything he needs to perform. And that makes it even worse when he doesn't perform and the spiral continues, doesn't it? And, you know, I think every racing driver in the world has been in that position. It's just unfortunate for Logan that he's he's finding himself here in Formula One because he's, he's constantly in the spotlight. You've got people like us constantly judging the performances that he does. And, and you know, it's it's hundreds of thousands of people judging it and and millions of people watching. So it's, it's very easy to be sat saying it. But there is, you know, th- these are the best drivers in the world. They need that level of of you know mental strength and ability to control their emotions in order to prove that they're deserving of a spot there there's not enough seats and there's too many drivers so like i said it's it's not unsalvageable but he just needs something spectacular and i don't think anyone is expecting logan to beat alex i think that that's kind of the frustrating thing being said on the sidelines is we're not expecting this amazing performance where he goes and challenges alban because the the kind of expectation's been set we just you just want to see a weekend free of mistakes where he doesn't crash or doesn't go off or there isn't something that goes wrong where he can just build to see where actually his level's really at. And then you can make an assessment of whether or not he's fast enough to be there. But yeah, it's really easy to get caught in the cycle, whether you believe you're in a supportive environment or you're in one of the more hostile environments, you know, you don't need to name any names to know which teams have a slightly more hostile uh, environment for drivers. But at the end of the day, the driver is the one controlling and the driver is the one in control of their own emotions. And, they're, they're, you know, 
their surroundings are their perceived are their you know their their perspective their perceived reality and yeah hopefully he can switch himself out of it he can see the team support he has and just go on to produce a, a an error free weekend not even a fast one just an error free one just to see really mm. where he's at to try and build something for the back part of the season yeah well he gets a weekend off and then it's uh into Qatar for uh, for local sergeant and the rest of the uh field so uh you know we don't like to see anybody do badly but uh, we'll be wishing for for sergeant to uh, to have a good end to the year and he absolutely needs one um you we mentioned red bull in that and and their revolving door of drivers um and it, and technically they had a double dnf this weekend um but it was only sergio perez <laughs> that was weird like i i i didn't i thought in the rules that you had, if you were going to retire a car, there had to be a legitimate reason if it wasn't an obvious, you know, you couldn't just do it to save the engine or something like that. You had to try and you had to justify, you know, this is why you're retiring the car. And if you do retire the car, surely that means the car is unfit to participate in the race. So it cannot retake, like cannot rejoin the race. So that's why I was so confused. But obviously there is this loophole where they got it cleared by the FIA and back went into the race did Sergio Perez only to serve his penalty so he doesn't carry over to the Qatar. It just makes you realise how smart the people in Formula 1 really yeah. are, aren't they? they? They know every line of the rule book and how they can... Uh, interpreted for their own gain. And, you know, my favorite part was the camera shot when Verstappen came into box and it was like something out of like the office, wasn't it? I think that's what people were comparing it to where they just panned around and it was just Sergio in the back of the, still sat in the car. It was so, so good. Um, but yeah, it's it's nice, isn't it? Because Red Bull, even the race where they dominate, they give us something to talk about and yeah. gave, gave Sergio a little rest, gave him some time. He clearly had a very, oh, what a difficult start to the Grand Prix. He had had a little bit of time to think about it before he could go out, serve his penalty, and then come back in again and finish the race on a, yeah, let's call it a slightly higher note than how it would have finished if he had just had the start of it. Because, yeah, again, while we're talking about drivers that didn't necessarily have the weekend they really needed, he was a, another one of those candidates, wasn't he? Yeah, he certainly was. But I, I, despite you know Red Bull only having one car, that's all they need in in the race. I thought it was very sort of Noah's Arky during a lot of that race. Very two by two. You know, you had the two McLarens together, the two Mercedes, the two Ferraris for the majority of that race, certainly the early part. And there there wasn't really too much mingling. But then, of course, the teammates were really getting their elbows out in Mercedes land. Hamilton versus Russell. What did you make of this? Because I thought. It was on the edge, and especially in the final laps. That you know, Mercedes got the strategy wrong with George Russell keeping him out on on a, on the hards on that one stop. And I thought it was so funny when they would he he brought up the the DRS uh, maneuver that Signs did in Singapore. But eventually, it all came to no avail. And and even though they did try the DRS thing, I thought that that came too late from Mercedes because science got through. So well, how did you see that all? Because I didn't think they, I thought it was clunky from Mercedes. It was, but I think the problem they've got now is they've got a power struggle because they've mm. got a driver who's desperate to win his eighth world championship and become the greatest Formula One driver statistically there's ever been. And then you've got a young driver who's very keen to overthrow that, to become the number one at Mercedes, to build a team around him so that he can try and fight for his first world championship. And it's, it's a really unique dynamic between the two because they are being allowed to fight. And I think it's it's great that we're seeing this, especially this year. You know, we've seen it with the Ferraris. Drivers, there's 
there's less talk about number ones and number twos, even if there is a slight favorability towards one driver, they are being allowed to fight when the situation allows for it. And I'm, I'm loving it because, you know, I still am of, of the belief that I think if it was Hamilton having a go at Norris in Singapore, he would have gotten through and then he would have gotten to signs. I think he's, he just has the edge on George a little bit on pace, but obviously George was in the position, didn't capitalize on the result, and he was kind of keen to sort of stamp some authority this weekend. But when he dive-bombed Hamilton into the chicane, that's, you know, you've got to, as a racing driver, you've got to kind of give as good as you get. Otherwise, you know, you can find yourself very quickly losing all the momentum that you're building up during the course of a race. And to see him, you know, see Lewis get his elbows out, a little bit of like, you know, almost rubbing down the main straight and then retaking the position back into turn one and turn two. It's just great to see. It's good to see two drivers at different ends of their careers battling equally as hard for, you know, they're not, they're not fighting for a win. They're just fighting for number one position in the team. And I'm loving watching that dynamic unfold. And I, I think it's definitely a lot less harmonious on the inside than it looks on the outside. And I only, I only anticipate that escalating more and more and more as the season goes on because they are very well matched in terms of pace. It's very, very close. And they're both pushing for that number one spot. So yeah, if, if, if I'm watching the last few races of the year, I'm keeping a keen eye on the Mercedes drivers to see what else comes up. Yeah, this is what I thought as well, because they, I mean, they were getting very punchy on the radio, but then both those Mercedes guys are very good in like the post-race interviews at not, not slagging each other off and very much, you know, telling the party line. But you just think there's a bit of an edge creeping in now, especially with George Russell. And, it, you know, I don't think he was happy with what happened in that race. And... Oh, sorry. Are, are racing drivers ever happy? That's my real mm. question. Do we, is the oh, driver well. that loses out ever happy? <laughs> Except do you look look in the mirror. What do you see? <laughs> I don't think racing drivers are ever happy unless they're winning, and that's everything that goes. You know, you've, you've dedicated your whole life to get to Formula One. You find yourself in a position where, especially for George as well, if you look back to the Williams days, he kind of thought he was going to go to Mercedes and fight for victories. I mean, when he mm. stepped in for Hamilton at, at Bahrain and he had the win kind of taken away from him there, and. We were all sat there going, well, it's, it's fine. He's going to jump into a Mercedes. He's going to be fighting for regular victories because that's where Mercedes were. Fast forward to the change in regulations and they didn't quite get it right. And it, it must be incredibly frustrating for Russell because he for sure thought that he was going to find himself in a position to fight for wins consistently and it just hasn't materialized yet. So you can you can sense a bit of that frustration kicking in. And yeah, let, let's see where this goes. I'm, I'm keen to watch what comes next. Because as you say, they're very, very good to the camera. But what's happening behind? Because if it keeps boiling and boiling and boiling, eventually, he's just gonna, the bubble's going to burst, isn't it? Well, in a similar vein, the McLaren guys were getting a bit edgy on the radio as well. Piastri managed to get ahead of Norris after Norris got ahead of him at the start of the race. But that's because I think Piastri kind of got sidelined by uh, Verstappen, who had to really cut across and, and fend off Piastri from his better start. But Piastri didn't roll over straight away when asked, you know, Lando needs to come through, he is quicker. And it clearly, I think Piastri still needs to work on his race pace, I think. Uh, you know, he is fast, there's no doubt about it, but Norris just seems to have the edge when it comes to race pace at the moment. Fantastic to get his first podium, a double podium for McLaren. I mean, we spoke about it, or I think we've spoken about it consistently, when they're fighting to get out of Q1 in Bahrain and now they're scoring double podiums. I mean, what? a rate of improvement that is but i also think mclaren might have 
some problems starting to creep creep up on them maybe for the next couple of years i mean piastri's just signed this long-term contract up until the end of 2026 norris is there to the end of 2025 norris is the de facto team leader and so far no teammate has really well actually signs was pretty there with him but i don't know this feels like norris's team right and i think piastri is going to cause problems for norris i agree 100 percent. i think the the thing with with kind of your, if you want to call it Carlando, as everyone always calls it, the whole Carlos and Lando bromance is they, they got on really, really well, but I don't sense that happening with Piastri. I don't think Piastri has the same personality as, as Norris. You kind of, for these, these, um, these way, if you want to call it like inter-team driver bromance things to happen, mm-hmm. you kind of have to get along. You have to have the same sense of humor. And I don't really sense at, at least behind, to the, to the public, that Piastri is really that bothered about being mates with Lando. He kind of just wants to focus on winning races and getting the job done and, you know, driving the car to the maximum. And he, if, if you come in as a rookie, you challenge Lando Norris in Lando Norris's team straight away. Of course, that's going to get Lando's back up a little bit because, you know, you're, you're comfortable in the situation. And Piastri traditionally just keeps getting better and better and better and better. His developmental process and his his rise through the ranks is is not really something we've seen. You know, he he won Frecker in his second season when the new regulation of car came out. He dominated the championship after he had one bad round in Monza, and then the rest of the year he was basically untouchable. He then went into FIAF three. He won that. He went into FIAF two. He won that. Like what we don't really see drivers coming through with this level of natural ability, with the composure, with the speed. But he's never really stayed in the chat. He's always won a championship in the first year, we, or the last few years anyway. We haven't seen him have time to be able to develop and build. And that's the thing that I'm really excited to see is if he's got now a long-term deal in the same team where he's clearly very happy, very comfortable, the car's competitive, what can Oscar Piastri do? Because that question mark has never never really been answered. So I'm I'm excited to see what happens there. And I think Lando's going to have to get inventive to beat him, especially... If this keeps going midway through next year, I expect Piastri to be the number one at McLaren in terms of pace. So I uh, got back from Japan last night and Piastri was on my flight. Uh, he he was in business and I was I was not. And you're um, in first class. You're in first yeah, class. I, I, <laughs> I wish. Um, but and maybe this is. I think this is just a bit telling. It's probably not. But I quite enjoyed it of telling of his personality. So we we end up um, both going. And anyone who knows Heathrow Terminal Five, if you if you're getting a cab or an Uber, other other ones are available. Um, you go to uh, the the short stay car park. And uh, you get the lift and it takes you to floor one. And I find myself in the lift with Oscar Piastri. And he doesn't know me really. And I don't, I don't really know him. And I was tempted to go, hey, Oscar, like, you know, congrats on the podium. I'm Harry, by the way. I do, I do, the, do the F1 coverage for, for BBC. But I was like, nah, we're both knackered. We've just done a 15-hour flight. No. And uh, he's just there scrolling through Twitter, having a little look, because we know he loves his tweet. And um, he... No one, no one recognizes him in this lift. Like these aren't F1 people in this lift. No one knows who this guy is. And uh, it's quite a full lift. And this woman gets on and um, sort of starts, oh, can someone please hit num- number two, please? Number two. And then like straight away, Oscar is like, no problem. Hits the button for number two, looks, smiles, and then just gets on with his day. And it's just a small thing. But I thought, what a, what a nice young man. What a lovely young man Oscar Piastri is. 
He really is. I, I remember I stopped racing in 2018 and then I came back for my last season in 2019 in, in Freca, the year that he won it. And I hadn't driven a race car in a year. We went to the last test of the year in Barcelona. I was with a new team and they were, they were, they were nowhere. They were really struggling and they kind of brought me in to try and help out to bring them back on the right way. They were last and second last, the two other drivers in every test up to then. And we did the test in Barcelona. I managed to stick the car around about the top five and it was all quite happy. And we were sat at the airport at Barcelona, the EasyJet terminal. And I, the last time I'd seen him was a few years before. We were both coaching in F4 at the banking of Croft Circuit, which is some tiny track in Darlington. For People don't even know where that is. <laughs> and we sat and we were having a chat. And I remember him saying, you know, I really hope you come back and it'd be great to see you and everything. Anyway, fast forward two years, see him in the airport. And he literally made an effort to come up to me and just said, look, it's great to see you back. You know, I hope you have a great season if there's anything I can do, whatever, blah, 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 let me know because you've done all the testing. And I was just like, that's so telling of what a like what a great character he is. There's no malice, there's no malicious. He just wants to show up and do a good job and focus on the job that he's doing. And it's exactly the little stories like that where you go, not only is he a very fast competitor, but he's actually a great guy who's fully deserving of the opportunity that he's given. So I think both of us agree, and hopefully everyone listening, agrees that we just want to see him grow. He, it would be great to see him continue to rise to the very top of the sport. And who knows, maybe he's the guy to challenge Max Verstappen. Let's call it. Let's let's put it out there. Why not? Because he's got the pace. I genuinely believe he's got the pace. He's got the results. With the experience in the car, why not? He's beaten everyone else, so why not? This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to the I Love Oscar Piastri podcast brought to you by Callan O'Keefe and Harry Benjamin. Uh, no, wait, <laughs> let's, let's do it. I think Oscar Piastri is the man that can beat Max Verstappen. Oh, do you agree? Let us know. Get in touch in all the, in all the ways somehow. Um, okay, that's Piastri chat. Let's move on, shall we? Uh, because um, there were a few other things to sort of mull over in that race. Um, and one of them was to do with time penalties that I, I'm quite intrigued about and, and a five-second time penalty. Now, cast our minds back to Singapore. Perez basically T-bones Alex Albon and finishes, you know, well up the road from him. Gets a five-second time penalty for it, but it doesn't lose him any spots. And he's ruined Alex Albon's point-scoring race. He's now not scoring points. He does the same to, um, who did he T-bone? Kevin Magnussen into the hairpin in, uh, in Suzuka. Gets a five-second time penalty for it. And I'm just like, you've just ruined Magnussen's race. Like, Magnussen was actually having a pretty decent race for the Haas. And you've ruined it. 
and could well have put him out of the race. Now, five seconds is that's not enough, right? No, nowhere near, especially when the races are as long as they are. I mean, the penalties, so at junior level, F4, F3, F2, Freca, the, the penalties are all the same because it's FIA systems, right? And if you get a five-second penalty in a 20-minute race or a 30-minute race, it affects you much harder because the grids are very close and you have less time to build a gap. Where it doesn't work in Formula 1 is you have so much longer and there's so much variation in the difference in cars' performance, especially in race trip. You can make up the difference very, very quickly, especially if, if the move, like, for example, with Perez, he's gone in and, and you know, harpooned K-Mag in a Haas. It, it, he's he's going to build enough of a gap to the cars mm. around him with who he's racing that he's not going to get penalized for it. And I think that's really telling exactly what you said. Like, if the penalty system actually worked, we wouldn't see drivers making repeat mistakes the same weekend because it's almost like if he knew that there was a harsher penalty, he wouldn't take as big a risk. It's almost like, ah, well, if I get it done... I'm going to lose more time being sat behind him anyway. So let's just see what happens. And it's for me, there needs to be, you know, I, I love letting drivers race. I think that that's, that's crit. I hate these like sort of like track limit, five penalties, five second penalties when drivers go around the outside and it's, it's all a bit 50, 50, but if, if there's been an actual racing incident, there needs to be much stricter penalties for F1 drivers to avoid them doing. Cause as you said, you know, we also saw it with, um, with Sergeant, um, T-boning was it was Bottas, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly the same move. It's just it, there just needs to be stricter penalties so that you you can't get away with doing it because it, it's so easy now to make a mistake and then let it get done. And and your five second penalty can be for something that's a little bit more um you either get rid of it entirely or you leave it for something that's a bit more 50-50 where it's it's 60-40 and you wanna inflict a little bit of pain on the person that's done it rather than, oh, well, I've just harpooned someone, I've taken them out, their race is over and I can just make up the five seconds at some point because I'm driving massively under the limit anyway to save the tyres. That's my view on it. I don't know what everyone else thinks. You know what we don't see enough of anymore in Formula One? Drive-through penalties. I knew you were going to say it. I know you're a good old-fashioned drive-through penalty. But where have they gone? Now it's a, a five seconds or a 10 seconds penalty, which you can serve within the race, which means during a pit stop, if you haven't done it. A drive-through penalty, I think, would have done the trick because then you've got to trundle through the pits and and you can't stop so you can't you can't get any kind of strategy benefit from changing tires at the same time or doing a front wing tweak or whatever you literally have to drive at 80 or 60 kilometers an hour through the pits and that is your punishment where have they gone we're gonna start up a hashtag bring back the drive through make drivers pay Praying back the drive. We're going we're gonna to hear people shouting it from the rooftops after the next race. And I agree with you, actually. I think the drive-through is the perfect penalty to penalize drivers when they make big mistakes that severely impact other drivers. The drive-through is great. It gives you time to think about your actions. It shines a light on you as well because you've got to trundle through the pit lane, as yeah. you said. And it hurts. Yeah. Bring back the drive-through. Let's do when, it. Let's make it a thing. The, can you remember the last drive-through penalty? I no. cannot. It's probably no, going to be like, is- yeah, there was one night in Singapore, Harry, God. But <laughs> I cannot, <laughs> I cannot for the life of me think when the last drive-through penalty was. I, I I have a terrible memory, but I don't really remember a drive-through penalty in recent times for something serious. That's, yeah. the, that's the important thing. Yeah. I, I agree. Let's bring back the drive-through. Yeah. Do you remember when stop and goes were a thing as well? Like, I don't know. I don't know how long ago was that, but you had like the proper 10 second stop goes, which also impacted you as well. I know the five seconds, five seconds is not enough time. 
five seconds is just not enough time. Let's make it more. Bring back the drive-through. That's the answer there. We're sold. Bring him back. When Bring do we make you the them. president of the FIA, Harry? When do we make you the president of the FIA? That's what we're going to do. First, first policy. First policy, bring for everything. Drive the penalty. Drive the penalty. Drive the penalty. <laughs> drive the penalty. Jump start. Drive the penalty. Um, yeah, you, you. I'm pretty sure jump start would get you a drive through penalty back in the day. Definitely. It does. It, uh, I'm pretty sure Pastor Maldonado picked up a couple of them. Um, oh, what a man he was! What a man he was! <laughs> what a man! Um, that was just a, that was a bone I had to pick. Uh, there were some other uh, intriguing things that are happening out there. There was a bit it was kind of missed on on the coverage, but the two Alpines got into a bit of a, a hissy fit towards the end of the race because uh, Gasly was ahead of Ocon, but then Gasly got told he had to move out of the way and let Ocon through because. Um, Earlier on in that race, Ocon had been trying to get Alonso, but that didn't work. So Gaz, so he let Gasly through to try his luck, and Gasly didn't manage it either. So then Alpine said, "Well, you have to swap." But Gasly fought back by sort of saying, "Well, you know, are you serious? Like, I outqualified the guy. He, you, he undercut me. I'm still in front of him. Like this is not a straightforward swap swap around." He did do it in the end, but he wasn't happy. And those two are already on the fringes of being friends. Yeah, but doesn't that show you exactly my point from earlier? No racing driver is ever happy. Yeah. How can you use an excuse? Oh, I qualified him. It doesn't matter. He's, you know, the strategy's worked out in his favor. It's technically his points. You were let through. He didn't fight you to let you through to give you the chance to try and have a go at the driver ahead. It didn't work out. You switched the positions. It's the way it works. It's Formula One. And that's where I kind of understand the other side of things from a team's point of view. It's not... You know, it's not like this is the first time we've ever seen that level of logic being implemented to team orders. It's not like it's a new thing. So to sit there and go, well, I, you know, I was faster in qualifying and he undercut me. It's like, well, yeah, the, his, the race fell better for Ocon and that's just the way it is. But no racing driver is ever happy unless they're the one that's profiting. That's that's the, there's, if there's two things you take from this podcast, it's bring back the drive through and it's only ever the driver that's ahead of their teammate that's ever happy. And that's Formula One in a nutshell, really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, well, uh, I think the Alpine debrief would have been a fun one to sit in on. Um, and we kind of talked about Ricardo and Sonoda uh, being confirmed for next year earlier on, but it's obviously a big talking point outside of the weekend. Do you think Lawson is prime candidate for Williams or do you think there's bigger work at play here with, with Sergio Perez's contract coming to an end next year? I, I wouldn't know. give I wouldn't give up Lawson. If I was part of the Red Bull management, I would, there's no way I'd give up Lawson after the job he's doing. Lawson's in a difficult situation though because he's he's even come out publicly and said, hasn't he, that he's he's not he's once now he's here, he's not stepping back down again. So I think if they've got any hope of retaining him, it's guaranteed race seat in 25. But then again, it's so difficult once you've got the momentum and you've got that. You know, it's not like it was one good result. It was it's been several. He's been. He's been really, really exceptional since he came into Formula One and you kind of want to capitalize on that momentum and keep building rather than having a year out. And yeah, I, where where do you go though? That's the point because if you go to Williams, you have Alex Holborn as a number one. It's it's a team that's growing and is coming back on the up again. It's got great, you know, amazing history and great pedigree, but they've not been a front running team for a long time. They're trying mm. to work their way back there and it's clear that the steps are working, but or do you stay with Red Bull and have that carrot of the the, the main seed while you're watching Perez not perform? It's a, it's a really tricky one. It really, really is, isn't it? I know Red Bull have put themselves yet again in an absolutely brilliant position because of how you know cutthroat they are with their driver program, but also how how brilliant they are at identifying talent. Because 
surely they they can loan out Lawson to Williams for a year if if they can have him. They'll they'll pay for him to be there, so Williams don't have to fork out any money for a salary or anything like that. They let him sit there for a year, get a full season under his belt, go alongside a known quantity, not just to Formula One, but also to Red Bull, Alex Albon. And like very much when they started Daniel Ricciardo into Hispania racing all those years ago, just to gain some experience, they let Lawson race it out. And and then they have Ricciardo and Sonoda in AlphaTauri. They've got Verstappen and Perez in Red Bull. And even if everybody lasts a full year, then suddenly they can go, all right, well, bye, Perez. Thank you very much for a great career. Ricardo, you're going back to Red Bull. Lawson, you're in to AlphaTauri. Or sorry, Sonoda, you haven't made the cut. Lawson's now replacing you. This, that, the other. Or equally, you get four or five races into next season. Perez ain't performing. Sonoda, Ricardo, one of them ain't performing. Lawson then gets started in straight away. So they've got these two or multiple different sort of options to them. So once, I mean, they've got the best driver program going. Like no other team can compete. I just wonder though, if he does end up at Williams, are Williams really going to put themselves in a position where they allow a clause in the contract that says that Lawson can be pulled out at any time? Mm, because especially yeah. if they're developing, you know, they've got the thing that Red Bull need. It's the other way around. It's it's they have the product, they have the seat. Because that's the problem. Red Bull don't have enough seats. So I, I can't imagine in any way that that Williams are going to allow Red Bull to... Obviously, they want Lawson because Lawson's doing a good job and it would fill it. But they do have other drivers. You know, They've got you know the likes of Frederick Vesti who could jump up and do a, a fairly good job, I think. Unknown quantity, but he is doing a really, really good job in F2 and is part of the Mercedes Junior staple. And it, I just wonder how you go about playing this. That's a big thing because... You're in a great position if Perez fixes everything and they perform, but I just can't see there being a position where Williams will risk being damaged midway through the season because they lose one of their two drivers, and I just can't see that ever being the case. So it's it's a game of chess, really, isn't it, between the mm. two? But the one thing that has to be made clear is that Lawson is 100% deserving of a, of a full-time seat to see what he can do with a, a full winter of prep, building a team around him, and then, you know, seeing what he can do over the course of a year, because the, the job that he's done in the last few races has been really, really exceptional. I have heard rumblings that uh, Rebel have promised Lawson a 2025 race seat. Where that is, who knows? But they've said, look, be a reserve for one year and you will be in Formula One for sure in 2025, maybe even earlier. So I think Lawson has proven he could be a Grand Prix driver at a rather good one as well. Um Exciting times, isn't it, in Formula One with that one remaining seat? Um, but now it's time for our WTF1 podium. We must nominate our star performer, our worst performer, and our biggest surprise performer of the Grand Prix. Do you want to go first or me? What do you want to what do you want to start with? You can go first, but what do you where do you want to start? That's the real question. Let I want to start with worst performer, just because that's well, the we one know that comes, who it is. Comes we know to mind, who it first is. of all. Uh, should we say is. should we say it together? One, three, two, two one, DeFreeze. Sergio Perez. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, old habits die hard. Old habits die hard. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> oh, so sorry, Nick DeFreeze. So sorry. You're, you're in his land right now. Callan lives in the Netherlands. Like, literally. <laughs> He's, you're in Nick DeFreeze's back garden. Please don't kick me out of the country. I love it here. I love Stroop Waffles and I love, I love Nick DeFreeze. Um, Okay, should we should we really do? Well, you said Perez, didn't you? Let's, yeah, well, obviously let's, I'm going for Perez. Who are you going I, for? I'm going to go for Sergeant. 
Okay, fine. I, I, I Perez tipped it for me because he, he literally he couldn't he couldn't gain on Verstappen at all throughout the weekend. Like he started off seven tenths down, and he pretty much stayed seven tenths down from Verstappen on pace. So that was my that was my reasoning for that. Yes. Um, okay, you're up next. Who's your star? Ah, uh, it's it's got to be Verstappen. I mean, he made mm. me eat my words, didn't I? Just to win by twenty seconds, he didn't look challenged at all, and any. Any, there was no point in the weekend where I thought anyone was going to be him, and that is worthy of a star performance and a, you know, a shout out to Red Bull as well. What a job they've done! Well, that little corner, the Verstappen corner. What a job they've done this year and constructors champion. Just now that you've won the constructors and you're going to win the drivers, please slow yourself down. That's all I ask. I just want a little bit more magic, like Singapore. Just yes. a, a humble request from a, a fan. Please just slow, slow yourself down. But what about um, yourself? I mean, it's hard to look past Verstappen, but just to be different, I'm going to go with McLaren as my star performers. Best of the rest. Um, Second and third on the grid. Converted that into a double podium. Seamless race. Pacey. uh, Didn't put a foot wrong. Yeah, McLaren it is for me. Happy days. I've got no arguments with that at all. Sorry. I've got I've got Siri going off in my ear right now. <laughs> I don't know how the hell that happened. Does Siri want to make a contribution to who they think their their, uh, their star performer was? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know what happened. There. I don't think that came on the recording. But anyway, uh, we'll carry on. Um, right at the end, biggest surprise performer. Uh, oh, it's back to me now, isn't it? Uh, biggest surprise performer. Oh, I don't actually know. Um, Leclerc. Oh, actually, no, a bit anonymous, nah, really. He's very kind of. I, I, the reason I didn't choose McLaren as my star performer. Do you think that was a surprise, though? I think it was seeing both of them up there again. I, you know, I just, I can't get my head around. And this is maybe just my own, again, everything in Formula One is perception. I can't get my head around how they've managed to fix the problems. And mm. every weekend they have a good weekend. I'm like, well, this is just clearly, this is a Singapore, this is a one off. And then they do it again and again and again. And it just continues to surprise me. And I, I, I think Piastri out-qualifying Norris was a, was an even bigger surprise to me. Obviously, Suzuka is a hugely demanding circuit. You know, what a, what a lap from him. And yeah, just the whole of McLaren in general and the strength of the unit was a, a, continues to be a surprise for me. And maybe that means I'm just not paying enough attention and I must look better. Must do better. I still Must don't know do who my I still don't know who my biggest surprise performer would be. There's no one that really screams surprise. Like That's maybe the, the Alpine, thing, isn't I'm, it? I'm just trying to be difficult as well, like not going for the obvious. But like the Alpines both getting points. I mean, that's you know, a bit of a surprise. But yeah, I don't, you know, don't really have one. Red Bull surprised me by sending Perez back into the race. There you go. We'll have that one. I, I think Perez was, uh, Perez was a bit of a surprise. Perez was a bit of a surprise performance with me. It, it's, it's a track that traditionally he's kind of gone quite well at, and he was just nowhere. That's another point I'd say. You know, he, I know you've already used it, but it's kind of worth mentioning. You yeah. know, we've, we've, seen him get, we've seen him get great results there, different generation of car, but we've seen him get great results there in a Sauber. That came up. When I was looking through the uh, the preview for the weekend, I forgot about that when he was the tire whisperer back then. And mm. yeah, it's, it's traditionally a track. I th- he kind of goes quite well. At. I thought he was going to do better, but obviously, yeah. As as they say, calamity. For Perez. Perez needs to uh, channel his 2012 Sauber days and uh, and and use that against Verstappen uh, because he did have some 
bloody good results. Um, Crime of course, it was his teammate that was on the podium, Kamui Kobayashi, 2012, Japan in a Sauber. What a year that was for uh, the oh. Japanese driver. I, I think I got a bit emotional that weekend just to see him on the podium. It was great. Where is Kamui now? Is he racing WEC? Yeah, he's like the boss of Toyota. Like, he is literally, he employs himself. No, he's not the boss. <laughs> I'll tell you what, so Kamui Kobayashi is team principal of the Toyota WEC team, right? In which he also, as you know, does he still race in it? I think he does still race in it. I'm pretty, I saw, I saw, he was in Fuji a couple of weeks ago, wasn't he? Because I yeah. saw this amazing edit on Instagram that someone had did of like, it cut back to when he got the podium and says, hey, it was, it was so oh, well done. And Oh. He's team principal and driver. He then he also raced like in a NASCAR race the other week for Toyota. He does Super Formula for like fun. And um, you know who the boss of Toyota like motorsport is now? Not a clue. Tell me. Kazuki Nakajima. Remember him? Wow. Yeah. This is yeah. a blast from the past, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, crazy man. Crazy. Wow. Anyway, that's what they're up to. Um, that brings us nicely to the end. We should try and get Kamui on. I think he'd be good. Come on, KK. We need you on. Um, we're out of time. But in the meantime, uh, make sure you're following, subscribed to WTF1 socials and YouTube channel and uh, me, Harry Benjamin, and him, Callan O'Keefe. I'm um, him. And we'll see you uh, next week. We've got a, a non-race week show, uh, but we'll, we'll look forward to Qatar where Max Verstappen will become a uh, world champion once more. Um, probably after the sprints, which will be a little bit uh, of a sort of, I don't know, a little bit under the radar, but he was always going to be champion. Because, because no one expected him to become champion, did they, no, Harry? It's, it's going like, to be such a surprise. It's just like, oh, do it in the sprint. Like, oh, you know. Well, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe. Okay, look, like they have the option here. We sent out a, a humble request just to drag it out a little bit longer. We had, we had Nicola on the podcast last week and the longer but they delay it. It's the less time that Max has to go on their podcast. Oh, and we know so, he hates podcasts. And we know he hates podcasts. That's where I was going with this. We found out. So I'm I'm thinking, I'm, I'm really clutching at straws here because like, I have nothing left. I'm really hoping that means that he's not going to go and dominate Qatar. And that's my two cents as to why Max was that will not win the category. You are a clever man. You are <laughs> a clever man. You're clever than you look. I'll give you that. Thank God this is a podcast. All righty. We'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs> Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.